Blog Talk Radio. the Frontier Beyond Fear live broadcast and podcast. Um, I'm Susan Larison Dance, and today is February 11th, 2023. And I'm back to my normal live time, which I think I will continue broadcasting at most, most weekends, which is 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, streaming live on Blog Talk Radio. And a thank you once again, let me double check here, to Blog Talk Radio um, for featuring the program on its homepage um, before it went live. And now I can't see the homepage right now. Yes, it's up there now. So I'm always grateful to Blog Talk Radio for that. And if you have discovered the program, if you're just wandering in because you saw it there, welcome and also thank you for um, featuring on live spirituality. Great. Um, today, it's interesting that this should be the topic today, and I'll tell you how it came about. But one of the reasons it's interesting is um, I had a lot of things going on, really busy heading into this program. And the theme of the program itself is part of what nature can give to us and also our spiritual paths where we can find that space of inner peace even on what can feel like a, a rather busy day. We can feel also that same peace, that same wondrous feeling when we're doing something that comes straight from our hearts. And that's what this program is. It's from my heart to yours. So how this particular theme came about, which I've spoken in um, different ways regarding throughout this show, throughout the time period that this show has been on the air, um, Last week, I had the opportunity, I happened to see an email pop into my um, promotional folder, and it was from someone I knew a really long time ago, and it was just a regular kind of e-blast that this person had sent out, but they hadn't really sent out very many recently. And in it was a kind of a prompt, an invitation to write back about um, really... Um, about comparisons it, it was a it was an it was a writing prompt essentially and it had to do with um analogy and in the midst of writing back which i did really spontaneously 
um, I did include that, but that wasn't the main point because it prompted a kind of a conversation where I was then asked because I had told this person that often, although I can't say it's every day, <laughs> but many days and certainly for this program, I open one of my books to a random place and see what it has to say. And she wrote back and asked me, well, what did you open to today? And as it so happened, the day that she wrote, I hadn't opened to anything yet because I'd been out that morning and I just hadn't even had a chance to um, open the book to anything. And so I did it. And today I will be reading the poem that came up, or at least an excerpt from it, because it's quite a lengthy poem. And it has everything to do with our relationship with nature. Before I do any of that, because I have more than one poem to read about nature that I prepared right before the program today, and as usual, the topic came to me right before, and especially today because it's just been so busy today leading in, and truthfully, I haven't gotten out into nature either, but it's still with me. And that is a part of the theme, so appropriate for a day that is an 11th, which to me and to many of you has some um, spiritual meaning. That's a, that's a magical day, any day that has an 11 in it. Um, many of us have seen synchronicities in that way. I tend not to see those as much anymore. That was more a part of my awakening process where I would see a lot of people report where you'll see 11s, you'll wake up at 311 and things like that. And for me, it kind of evolved a little bit um, to other kinds of synchronicities, although I still do at times notice little winks like that. And that's what it is. It's a wink from the divine, an angelic wink, just to tell us that the divine is ever-present with us, which is very much a part of our relationship to nature and the earth. When we believe, and this, by the way, can span multiple spiritual paths. In fact, it's my point, part of it, in saying it this way. When we believe that the divine is everywhere, when we believe in the omnipresent divine, which means that there is no place that you can go, anywhere that you can be, anywhere in all the multiverse, which is separated from the divine. That's what omnipresence means. God is everywhere. The divine is everywhere and what this does is connect things and beings to one another if we are inseparable from the divine we are also inseparable from one another and we are also inseparable from nature and the earth it's really that simple there's nothing frightening about it. It's embedded in so many different ways of believing. It has to do 
with who we all are and what is inside of us, what can never be removed because the divine is omnipresent. When we realize this, when we get out into nature, some really amazing things can happen. We may notice that deer show up. Or in my case, I used to see a lot of deer, and I continue to see eagles. They just show up. And it it doesn't... Um, it doesn't make us superior in any way. It's not an ego thing. It's none of that. It's about feeling that relationship, and it can you can observe some really remarkable things by getting still, by walking. Many of you may not particularly find that any kind of meditation or reflection, however you approach it, works for you. You know, depending on your spiritual path, um, there have been many ways to reach a, a calmer state in that way. Some, you know, the monks and the nuns used to and still do, um, some, some of them anyway, you know, would repeat. They'd repeat things over and over to try to calm the spirit and feel that connection there can be music that connects us but another way that works really wonderfully and is so good for our own vitality is simply walking in nature ironically i'm not walking as much right now as if you listen to my episode some weeks ago i had a fall and um last week i did walk and I went farther than I expected and well not really than I expected just pretty much normal the normal walk but when I was about a mile in and still had to come home at least a mile from that if I had turned around it would have been but usually I go around so it was more than a mile to get home I could still feel unexpectedly some of the impacts of that fall and so although I've been healing really well I realized I overdid it and that Um, I listened to myself and I knew that I just needed more time for healing and not to push it, which I had done, but not intentionally thinking, you know, everything was fine. But things are fine. They're just progressing at their own healing pace. And I honor that. Does that mean that I am now separated from nature? Oh, no, because nature is all around us every day. I have lived in many different settings, whether in the city or in the country. I've told the story before of living behind a gas station in graduate school, so many different places. And no matter where you are, like during that time, I lived in an apartment behind a gas station. What did I notice most of all? Well, I was in a new place, and I noticed the sky. I noticed differences in the sky, the way the clouds raced across the sky in the Midwest and how they seemed different than where I had grown up. And so for me, even though perhaps at that time I didn't completely see it in a spiritual way, I felt it. I felt the impact of the beauty. And when I would walk, 
on campus because I was in college. I was in graduate school or, you know, in those days, um, I took we took the bus to school. There was a just a, a city bus in a, a smaller town. It wasn't a big city. I mean, it wasn't a tiny town either, but that's how... I was I lived on the outskirts of this town and didn't live right near campus and so um we would take the bus and I would notice the trees and how different they were because this was the Midwest and as the seasons began to change they were so beautiful and deep in color and some of these trees were so old because I had grown up in a place where there just wasn't as much moisture although I loved the trees um, around me as well, but um, I was experiencing, without even naming it, my relationship with nature. Nature can be very powerful. Just last night, I happened to see a video reminding me of something that happened in the 80s, where I observed a really a funnel cloud, but it was very close to being a tornado because it was hitting trees, and it may actually qualify as a tornado because if it's pulling trees, tall trees up out of the ground, that's technically a tornado, but some called it a funnel cloud at the time. Then it rose right up back into the sky, and I'll never forget that either because um, it almost seemed miraculous. In fact, it did seem very miraculous that it didn't hit all the way, that it came down, started hitting some tall trees, and then it went right back up because if it had come all the way down, it was an incredibly scary-looking tornado. And all my life, I have had a kind of a relationship with tornadoes and um, have lived in places where there have been tornadoes. So nature is very powerful. Look at the earthquake that just occurred. I mean, it's tragic as can be, and our hearts go out. In fact, let me say, because I know that this program broadcasts to different parts of the world, our hearts are going out to those of you who were impacted by the earthquake or if you have loved ones who are impacted by this major, major earthquake impacting both Turkey and Syria. And yes, throughout history, we've had so many things happen. Um, In fact, I was watching a movie that I've seen before about um, the San Francisco, the famous San Francisco earthquake. Um, I believe it was 1906. I always forget if it's 1905 or 1906, but I think it was 1906. And that pretty much leveled San Francisco. And Yes, there is always a potential for very powerful things happening on this planet. So how are we to define our relationship then? Well, it's a part of the planet Earth experience. In fact, it goes beyond the Earth. If you look, even galaxies are colliding. Did you know? that the Andromeda galaxy will eventually collide with our own. What then? We won't be here at that point. Whether I don't think the Earth is, will even be here anymore. In fact, the Earth, it has a finite lifespan. The Earth won't be here forever. Neither will the sun shine 
forever. They don't know for sure what will happen, but someday the sun is likely to become a red giant and may even engulf the earth. What then? What then? Everything changes. Some things are very dramatic. These things are awe-inspiring. What about our relationship? What about it? It's the same as our relationship with the omnipresent divine. There are things in this universe and in this multiverse that we do not fully understand. How many times might we ask why? Why are there earthquakes that do such horrendous things? Why are people suffering? There are miracles happening. Babies have been rescued. That's what I've been seeing lately, how they've been rescuing babies. Well, that could make sense. They get tucked into some small little pocket and there's only so much time. But why? 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 Why is a good answer is a good question and perhaps it's an answer too. It's okay to ask why. That's the bigger question of our existence on this planet. It's okay to wonder like why it's such an extreme experience. If that tornado had hit that day, it would have been a horrible tragedy. Yet it didn't that day when I was watching it. Sometimes things do. As I've said, there have been giant tsunamis and all kinds of things throughout history, and they will continue. We are here for a reason, and we need to trust. Why? How do we honor the earth? How do we treat the earth or even the planets around us? Do we choose to have an exploitative attitude? Sometimes we hear that the earth and everything on it is here for us to dominate and is here for our pleasure without any respect for it whatsoever. How can anyone disrespect the earth and the beings on it and also respect people? It all comes from the same heart space. Even with that, sometimes, you know, I'll tell you, I'm not a vegetarian. When the Native Americans, you often will see this, and I'm not going to quote it as exactly as I would like, but when they would go hunting, um, like look at their relationship here with the buffalo. They had kind of a a symbiotic relationship with the buffalo, and they would literally thank the buffalo if they had to slay a buffalo for feeding their family. Why? Why is it set up that way on the planet? Why are there bears roaming around, grizzly bears or mountain lions or other types of predators? Why were there dinosaurs? Talk about predators. Why? It's a good question. It's not a bad question. It's one of the mysteries of being here. 
But we have to trust in the divine. And whereas the Native Americans honored and respected the buffalo, what ended up happening? People came along who didn't care about them, and they virtually killed them all, and in very brutal ways. There's a very moving scene of um, dance. Is it dancing with wolves? Yeah, I think so. I always want to say dances with wolves, but I, whichever it is, dancing or dances, the movie that many of you, I'm sure, have seen. Okay, now I'm going to have to look it up. Dancing with wolves. Yes, that's, or no, dances with wolves. That's funny. Both came up. It is dances with wolves. That was my initial feeling. Okay, there's a scene which very dramatically depicts just how horribly those who don't have a respect for nature exploit it. How many times have we seen, in fact, just in the past week I saw pictures like this and I've seen them for years, giant, giant redwoods and these men towering over them triumphant because they just cut one down and it had been there you know some of them could have easily been there for 3,000 years the oldest they didn't care they didn't know they felt that they could dominate the land they didn't respect the trees at all in one day they ended it how many times have we seen this in our own neighborhoods? In fact, I recently had this experience, and I've had it before, where beloved homes that I've lived in, including my childhood home, somebody comes along and capriciously, usually in the wintertime because they don't know any better, just cuts a tree down that's been there for a really long time and is beautiful and provided so much, not only for that home, but for the neighbor's. Why? If we could live in more conscious communion with nature, our world would be different, and in every way. I have said many times on this program, we, I do believe we are having a learning experience here on this planet but we also took the wrong path. And it's not just in one way have we exploited nature and um, really continue to pollute and destroy and desecrate the planet. It's in many ways, and it continues. I mean, there is a legitimate question regarding the impact of windmills on the environment, on birds, on sea life, on whales, that is a legitimate question. There is a legitimate question about thing that has such a drastic impact on the habitat and really is not necessarily a lasting solution. Same thing with batteries. Same thing. How are you going to dispose of them? Where are they coming from? How are you going to mine? These are hard questions. And if you don't have the courage to face them because of, you know, um, you just, it, it's, you're, it's not something to be questioned, then the earth will suffer even 
more and we will continue down this very dark path. Anyone who lightly treats nuclear war or any other type of harsh um, actions that impact the planet. The planet deserves our respect and the beings on it. And of course, the human beings on it, very much so. That is a foolish, foolish path. One that can have a chain reaction. Let's hope that that's not the way that we go. If we do, it will be a lesson. And we will remember it because we're here to learn. And I do believe other beings will know of it too someday. And it will be yet another lesson that we chose to learn as beings, aspects of the divine, because the divine is omnipresent. We are connected to nature. This is a multi-level experience. Yes, of course, when we walk out into nature, when we look out to nature, when we see the birds that land in the tree outside our window, when we hear the song. Did I mention it last time? I heard a bird singing a wonderful song as if to invite the spring very recently. And I noticed it. There are so many ways every day that we can notice. In fact, one of the things I noticed was that I had a bit too much noise in my environment. I had the news on or something I was listening to and it was blocking out hearing the birds. Does that mean in the morning I'm not going to turn something on and sometimes listen? Of course not. But it really was something I realized that when I wasn't, okay, turn it on, hear it, turn it off. Suddenly, I noticed the birds. It's so simple. It's right there for you. If you are in the hospital, turn to the channel on the television that shows you nature. I have spoken of this before as well, how when when my son was in the hospital um, some years ago, that channel provided so much peace during a tumultuous time. When other loved ones have been in the hospital and I've been helping, and it was true then as well, I would leave the room for a time and go outside or go look out the window at least. And there was something beautiful to observe. Those things exist for a reason because they help us. But we have a long way to go with regards to our relationship with nature. Now we talk of going and mining other worlds, perhaps. I really don't think we'll get that far because I think... Um, industrialization, as I've talked about on other programs, even the scientific evidence, the so-called Fermi paradox and other things, and just logic itself suggests it's self-limiting. 
So it is my hope that rather than ending in destruction, it ends in transformation. How exactly? I cannot say. But once again, we have an exploitative attitude, no different than how um, people felt about the buffalo when they didn't understand. If we did encounter a world out there that had beings on it, even intelligent beings, I still haven't seen the new Avatar movie, but given the way that we think that we can exploit, and you know that also extends to those who live in a more nature-based way, well, we'd probably trample them down too. Although, the key to all of this is there is another path, and it is stronger. It's a spiritual path. It's a miraculous path. Which path will we be on, ultimately? I know where we'll be at the end, whenever that is, or at the end of our lives. Which path are we really on? The material path or the spiritual one? I can tell you what the real evidence conveys, and it's not the material. I will pause and say thank you to those of you listening to the live show. Since it's about to end the live broadcast, I will continue in the podcast. FrontierBeyondFear.com is updated on the main website for this program. Thank you. I will continue, and as typical... The poetry, I promised, and this time um, one is going to be a little longer. Um, I am saving for the podcast portion of the show where now um, anyone listening is listening across time, and I thank you for being here whenever or wherever you are, and it is my hope that things have awakened more in the world And perhaps my voice is just one of many in this time talking about the potential of such an awakening. I don't just speak for now. I don't know where my voice is going. That's true for writing and for speaking. None of us know when we are able, and it's taken a while for me to be able to do this, and I tend not to do it as much with writing right now, although I have written, and you never know where those words will go someday. Um, And I expect to write more in different ways. When we put our voice out, when we put it out there, it it is a endeavor of trust that it will go where it is that it needs to go. And that includes the future. If we have no real future, if the industrialists manage to complete the final act of that era, I don't think the earth will be over with. There will still be some who survive, most likely. But if it reaches what can seem sometimes as an inevitable conclusion, which is why that tends to be a rather destructive turn that a society can take, where you have, and this is, again, there was a program on this, this is what the Fermi paradox has to do with, how come we don't see more evidence of developed technological worlds? And 
there's a lot to that as to why. And it's not just about, well, they're far away. Um, the real theory is that this kind of, of um, so-called progress, I'll put that in quotes, is very limiting. It's like a flash, and that's exactly how it ends. It only goes so far. That's part of the theory. When I address this, I may put a link to that program in today's episode later. I will do that for your reference. Because there's another theory that the planet that is undergoing such a, um, such a high rate of change somehow wakes up and changes and goes more on a spiritual path than a material one. I don't know if there's a point where you can't make that shift. We're in a really dangerous place right now on this planet. And it's going to take a lot of healing and really true miracles, I believe. Miracles are possible. Only to a materialist are miracles impossible. Those of us who have seen evidence of spirituality, we know that there is more to the equation, and that includes scientists, because science is not materialism. Materialism is a school of science. Science evolves. We discover new things if we're open to discovery. Lone voices will make the discoveries until they become known to more people. And that's been the history of discovery and science. And it will continue that way because it really is about reality. Okay, let's get to these poems because I have a few. And the first is the longest. It's not the whole poem because it's quite long. This, as I mentioned, came up when I opened the book at the prompting of someone I used to know who asked me what I had opened to that day, and I hadn't yet, so I did open the book, and here is the poem, the portion of a poem that I opened to. This is by Percy Fish Shelley who lived 1792 to 1822. And this is an excerpt. Actually, I didn't write it down. I want to make sure I have it exact. From Adonai. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. An elegy on the death of John Keats, author of... Again, I should have looked all of these up because I'm actually going to read something from this. Um... Oh, I hate it when I have, you know, this is what happens when you read and don't speak all the time because you'll read words and whether you actually can pronounce them the way you'd like or the way that, that they should be pronounced is ever the question and it's one of the banes of my existence because it happens a lot for me, here and there anyway. An elegy on the death of John Keats, author of Endymion, Hyperion, etc., this is in the, a little ways into the poem. This is exactly where I opened. 
So remember, this is an elegy talking about another poet who died very young, and I'm going to read another poem, but I'm going to read an excerpt from Endymion. Or I'm going to have to look this up. I tell you, I'm, it bothers me that I don't have the exact pronunciation of that word. Um, but anyway, both of these poets died very young, interestingly enough. Peace, peace. He is not dead, he doth not sleep. He hath awakened from the dream of life. Tis we who lost in stormy visions keep with phantoms in unprofitable strife and in mad trance strike with our spirit's knife. In vulnerable nothings we decay like corpses in a charnel. Fear and grief convulse us and consume us day by day. And cold hopes swarm like worms within our living clay. I'll stop for a minute because I realized I actually started a paragraph before where I opened and paid attention to before. So that's the first time I've read that particular area. Here's where I actually opened, but that is important. Let's stop and what that has to say about what life can feel like on planet Earth. And trust me, this is going to change into exactly what I've been talking about, about nature. He has outsoared the shadow of our night, envy, calumny, and hate and pain, and that unrest which men miscall delight, can touch him not and torture not again. From the contagion of the world's slow stain, he is secure and now can mourn a heart grown cold, a head grown gray in vain. Nor when the spirit's self has ceased to burn, with sparkles, ashes, load, and unlamented urn, he lives, he wakes, tis death is dead, not he, Mourn not for Adonai, thou young dawn. Turn all thy dew to splendor, for from thee the spirit thou lamentest is not gone. Ye caverns and ye forests cease to moan. Cease ye faint flowers and fountains, and thou air, which like a morning veil thy scarf hath thrown o'er the abandoned earth. Now leave it bare even to the joyous stars which smile on its despair. He is made one with nature. There is heard his voice in all her music, from the moan of thunder to the song of night's sweet bird. He is a presence to be felt and known in darkness and in light from herb and stone, spreading itself where'er that power may move, which has withdrawn his being to its own, which wields the world with never-wearied love, sustains it from beneath, and kindles it above. He is a portion of the loveliness which once he made more lovely, he doth bear his part. And I'm going to stop right there. 
This is one poet writing about another. That was an excerpt from a poem by Shelley. Now, and Shelley lived, listen to this. I hadn't even noticed the difference in years. Shelley lived 1792 to 1822. He was writing about the death of a poet who lived, John Keats, 1795 to 1821. So Shelley died the following year and both very young. Here is an excerpt from John Keats from Endymion. Hope I Endymion. I was going to look it up. I really was before the show, but it's just something that happens with me trying to get the words right. This is actually, it says, this is Keats' first long poem, Endymion, or Endymion, a poetic romance written in 1817, and it says it retells the old myth of the mortal youth with whom the moon goddess fell in love. I'll just read a little bit. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. Its loveliness increases. It will never pass into nothingness, but will keep a bower quiet for us and asleep full of sweet dreams and health and quiet breathing. Therefore, on every morrow, we are wreathing a flowery band to bind us to the earth, spite of despondence, of the inhuman dearth of noble natures, of the gloomy days, of all the unhealthy and or darkened ways made for our searching. Yet in spite of all, some shape of beauty moves away the pall from our dark spirits, such the sun, the moon, trees old and young, sprouting a shady boon for simple sheep, and such are daffodils with the green world they live in, and clear rills that for themselves a cooling covert make, Against the hot season, the mid-forest break rich with a sprinkling of fair musk-rose blooms, and such, too, is the grandeur of the dooms we have imagined for the mighty dead, all lovely tales that we have heard or read, an endless fountain of immortal drink pouring onto us from the heaven's brink. That's all I'll read of that poem, and you can see how one relates to the other. Poetry is approachable. Look at me. I'm not an expert. When I was young, I might have gone more into the humanities, yes, and yeah, I was really into English class back then, and I took some things, but far from being a literature major of any kind, as you can tell, because I can't pronounce, and certainly mythology, although I did take a course in mythology, that doesn't mean I remember how to pronounce everything or remember everything from mythology, not by a long shot. 
these things are approachable to us. Look at how beautiful. There's a reason why these are from what was called the Romantic period. You can feel the romance in the words. Perhaps that is appropriate for February and Valentine's Day. What about our love for the planet? Can you feel the planet's love in return? It's the love of the omnipresent divine that's all around you. God is love. And the earth can express it too. I wanted to read just a couple of other short poems from the Romantic period. Here's one by William Wordsworth, very famous poet, of course, who lived between 1770 and 1850. He lived a longer life, had more opportunity to write. We don't know what would have happened if the other poets have lived longer. What might they have produced? But life is what it is for each life. And we can be thankful for the time that we are here in a given life and for those who came before us. This one's appropriate because even though it's February, and I've actually, I believe, given this one out before, at least some of it, but I came to it today and I wanted to read just a little. Lines written in early spring. Not quite spring yet, but it will be early spring soon. I heard a thousand blended notes while in a grove I sate reclined. And in that sweet mood when pleasant thoughts bring sad thoughts to the mind. To her fair works did nature link the human soul that through me ran, and much it grieved my heart to think what man has made of man. Through primrose tufts in that green bower, the periwinkle trailed its wreaths, and tis my faith that every flower enjoys the air it breathes. The birds around me hopped and played their thoughts I cannot measure. But the least motion which they made, it seemed a thrill of pleasure. The budding twigs spread out their fan to catch the breezy air. And I must think, do all I can, that there was pleasure there. If this belief from heaven be sent, if such be nature's holy plan, have I not reason to lament what man has made of man? That's the complete poem. Well, actually, yes, it is. I have to read that it is the complete poem. Lines written in early spring. It was written, it was um, composed in 1798. Okay, and that was William Wordsworth. Again, the Romantic period. Now, my little bookmark has fallen on the ground. Here we go. William Blake, who lived 1757 to 1827. He is rather mystical in some of his poems. And if I can find it, I think I've lost the poem. Let's 
see, here it is. The Garden of Love. I went to the Garden of Love and saw what I had never seen, or and saw what I never had seen. A chapel was built in the midst where I used to play on on the green, and the gates of this chapel were shut, and thou shalt not writ over the door. So I turned to the garden of love that so many sweet flowers bore, and I saw it was filled with graves and tombstones where flowers should be, and priests in black gowns were walking their rounds and binding with briars my joys and desires. That's William Blake, the Garden of Love, a very expressive and free thinker in his time. And he also is quite mystical. If I could find it, let's see. There's another that... Um, it's meaningful. Not sure I can find it fast enough, but we're we're in the podcast, so you can bear with me. Uh, anyway, he has another, and I'm not sure I'm finding it at all. Let's see if I do. See, this is what it means to just leaf through a book, because sometimes I do, sometimes read things online. It's also really meaningful to have a book that we can just open to a poem. Aha, I found it. I'm only going to read the first few lines. Auguries of Innocence. And it says, this poem was left unfinished and unpublished by Blake. What's interesting is the line I'm going to read, or the few lines that I'm going to read, are quite well known for being unpublished. It says they may have been intended simply as jottings from which several poems might later be drawn. This is a short excerpt from Auguries of Innocence. To see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. And nearby that poem, this is just an excerpt of Auguries of Innocence, but can you hear the mystical aspects there? This lack of separation between the divine nature and you and time itself, because it's timeless. The divine is timeless. Linear time is an illusion. In fact, the poem that's right next to it is eternity, very short. He who bends to himself a joy does the winged life destroy, but he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. What's that about, and how does it relate to the others? That'll be the end of the poems that I will give on this broadcast, now in the podcast, but see how they're all related, how... Any given life, look at the two poets at the beginning, how short their lives were, and yet we remember them by what they wrote. In fact, one of the poems, the one by Shelley, does also seem to indicate how Keats writing about nature, his words endured. 
just as nature did. So it all kind of is holographic in a way. And what this poem by Blake has to say about eternity is about letting go. How if we cling too much to any joy, we need to recognize that life is fleeting. Anything that's happening is happening in the moment. It's true of joy. It's true of sorrow. And how we need to realize life, in a way, passes through us. We pass through life, even as we are a part of it, and things are ever-changing. Even if the earth itself, even if the worst-case scenario occurs, the end result of rampant industrialization and centuries and centuries and centuries of weapons development as the primary goal because we're in such a fear-based world. Even if in the end it's the destruction of most of everything, not likely to be everything, everything on the planet, but most of it, well, that would be a very unfortunate change. But whoever manages to get through it, if you've seen some of these um, programs, there used to be a program I saw on the History Channel. I haven't seen it in a while. It was really interesting. After Earth, something like, or After Humanity. After Earth, I think, is a movie. After Humanity. And it showed how amazingly resilient this Earth is. In fact, I will refer you to something else. And I don't have it right in front of me, but it was actually part of what I wrote Maybe I'll read it to you exactly. Back to this writer. We'll bring this full circle. I'll just tell the story spontaneously. I used to, many, many years ago, in fact, it was even before I was in graduate school, but around that time when I was young, I became familiar with this town that was off the interstate where we would often drive at the time. And apparently there had been some kind of accident near this town that contaminated the ground. And everyone was evacuated some years before and told they couldn't return. And it was fenced off, but you could see it from the interstate because it was very close. It wasn't a large place at all. And as you pass by, what you would see is the buildings unoccupied, weeds growing up through the ground. Whatever had happened there, nature wasn't um, suppressed because there were still things growing there. And that, in fact, how I wrote about this before was a little bit different now that I remember than the nature aspect of it. But it, it had to do with how life takes the course it takes. And we can't always predict what's going to happen. In fact, we can't predict what's going to happen in our lives as much as we try, just as we can't really predict what will happen here on this planet. Will we make better choices? Will we shift? Will we release the grasp of the materialists on our world? Or will fear take hold to its final conclusion and desecrate the place completely that's yet to be known will we find our better angels so to speak as has been said that's yet to be known but there is hope because this is not a material world it is a spiritual one even as that spirituality exists 
in the midst of the material or what can appear to be. Even that is an illusion and very fleeting, the material. But it has a lot within it that we can be thankful for. And the beauty of the earth is one such thing, a very significant thing at that. Thank you for being here, those of you listening to this podcast. As to the live program, I do think I like this time better, the normal time. If it's ever disrupted in some way, yeah, I'll do the show at another time. But the normal time for this program, streaming live on Blog Talk Radio, is 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And go to FrontierBeyondFear.com where you will find previous episodes. And I think I'll just refer you there. I was going to put a link in the show to a previous episode, but you can find it because I've generally referred to several, and they do link together, many of them. So it's really hard to just put a link to one and not others. And if you go to FrontierBeyondFear.com, the entire archive is available to you as long as several of the most recent shows since October. So thanks again for being here. I hope you'll find a way to experience both beauty in the natural world and poetry, which is a different expression, though very related expression, of beauty, especially when we write about the beauty of the earth. Perhaps you are creative and will feel inspired to write a poem. Realize how special you are and how precious this life is and how much you have to give within it, how much you can create. Perhaps you are artistic and can paint or draw. However, that creative nature expresses itself, allow it, let it flow, follow your heart just like I am. I had a busy day, even stressful leading in, and I feel great because I am in the space of my heart in this creation, this show, spontaneously flowing to you. Take care, everyone. I hope to see you next time.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.